Welcome to the How Soccer Explains Leadership Podcast, where we explore leadership principles through the lens of the beautiful game. Welcome back to How Soccer Explains Leadership. Again, thanks for the download. Very excited again for our show today. Today we have a new friend of mine. His name is Rob Burns. He's the founder and international director of Missional Links Wales. He's going to talk about that in a little bit. He also played for Wolverhampton Wanderers, or Wolves, as many of you know him, and uh, the NASL in his youth. He's done a lot in between. He's a lifelong learner. He recently earned a postgraduate certificate in coaching for leadership and recently finished his master's in missional leadership. In short, he's an experienced, he's a seasoned leader who has a ton of wisdom to share with us, and I'm excited to get to him in a minute here. Before I do, if you've listened, you know, I neglected to introduce myself. I'm Phil Dark. I'm your host. And if you've listened, you've known that I've invited you to subscribe to the show so that you don't miss any episodes. If you go to wherever you're listening to this and you just click that subscribe button, that way you won't miss any future episodes. Also, if you could rate and review the show, we'd greatly appreciate that. That helps get it out to other people. Without more from that today, I want to get to our interview with Rob Burns. Rob, how are you doing this morning or this afternoon or evening in your parts of the world? I'm doing well. It's pretty cold and wet here. I bet it's more sunny where you are. It is today. It has been cold and wet here out in Northern California as well, but it's not as typical here as it is where you're at. But that's something that there's pros and cons with all of it. I I have no doubt. But I know you because we've been able to have a good conversation. A lot of our audience does not know you. So can you just briefly share your story, particularly how you developed your passion for soccer and leadership and how you got to be where you are today? In short, I grew up in an academics home who was a a wonderful teacher. My dad, if something went wrong in the house, it was the phone. He'd just pick up the phone and it's passed on to me. I'm terrible practically. But my father would sit with us for hours teaching about concepts, teaching about principles, teaching about life and culture and just how the world works. So I'm really pleased for that. You know, I grew up in that kind of home. think he wanted me to be an academic as well. But early teenage years, developed a gift for soccer. And I wanted to be a soccer player. So I think he wanted another route. But at the same time, he was pretty supportive. So at 16, I was there at an early age at Wolves. But really from 12 and then signing at 16 and then through 18, 19-ish, I was at Wolves. My dad wanted me to continue my education all the way through. But I was certain I wanted to be a footballer. At 19, that came to a crashing end when they let me go. And I was so disappointed that I stopped playing for about 18 months. It's a long story. I don't think the coach treated us very well. Don't think he was a leader that I'd want to follow into the long term. And I learned a lot about how not to do it, to be honest. But didn't play for a while, then got back into it, played in the National League. Then went to Houston to play for Houston Dynamos for a very short time. And then went into professional soccer coaching, youth coaching. We set up two or three clubs in Houston and was there for six years, then went to seminary. And Jim Spence, who you know, took that ministry, that's what we call it, a ministry, because it's Christian principles through the game of soccer, took that on and has done a great job over the years. He's still there today. I left in 1996 and he's still doing that in Houston today and doing a wonderful job. But I went off to seminary 400 miles north to Dallas, went to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, got a master's in divinity, became an ordained minister, and then was sent by the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention to Wales as a missionary. 
And so I came over. By that time, I'd had about seven surgeries due for two more back surgeries to come quite quickly and knew that the coaching and certainly heavy involvement in sport wasn't really on anymore, but had this massive passion for training people, making, reproducing leaders, leaders who multiplied themselves. And so we set up a school, an academy, and we still do that today under Missional Links Wales, our internships. If you go under that, you'll see the kind of things that we do. Been doing it for 20 years. More than 200 young people have been through that. An intensive one year where they go away and a better person than they came. If they come with a sports gift, we teach them sports ministry. If it's music, music ministry. If it's creative arts, creative arts ministry. Whatever they come with, we try to hone it in and through the local churches. Give them opportunities to practice it and then go ahead and do it. So that's where we are today. Yeah, I love that. I love that you're taking what they have and you're developing it rather than trying to fit everyone into a box. You know, I think that's a great soccer lesson, a great leadership lesson, a great, that's just a great lesson all around that we can absolutely learn from. We'll get into that, I'm sure, in a little bit here, but I, I want to just dive into a little bit, a little bit deeper into something you just talked about, which was when you were 18 or 19 or so playing for Wolves and there was a coach who was, as you described it to me in our previous conversation, it was somewhat of a talk environment and it really caused you to lose a love for the game can you just go into that a bit more and and what we can learn from it both in the soccer arena as well as in our leadership in other arenas well I think in my lifetime we've come on a long way in the field of coaching learning the way that we do education is very different to the way that I grew up and I think the idea of a football coach, certainly in Britain at that time, was somebody who played before at a good level, somebody who had authority and someone who could intimidate the players into doing what they wanted. I think that was the modus operandi, if you like. The idea of coaching licenses was rarely ever talked about. The idea of coaching science was rarely talked about. We're talking now from 76 to 83. And certainly this coach didn't have that. High intimidation was his style. If I scare you enough, you'll do what I say. If I shout at you enough, you'll, you'll do what I say. That was his style, and we were petrified of him. And so it wasn't really until I began coaching myself. And it was, it's an interesting journey into it. As a player, we had to go to our first coaching license. We went kicking and screaming, by the way. We didn't go and enjoy our first coaching license. It was just beginning to happen. It was just something that probably the clubs got free from the FA. And so they'd send their young people. And so we go kicking and screaming. But, you know, I went and after that first session, I thought to myself, I like this. I could be a coach. I thought I, I could do this. And I remember we were going back session after session, week after week. It was about a three, four month course. And I got to know that teacher, our coach teacher, if you like. And he started to give me chances of coaching even while I was playing. And I thought this is so different to what we're receiving. Maybe there's a new day for coaching. Maybe there's going to be a better future. Yeah, what were the, some of those things? If you could go back to that coach, you could talk to him, or you, or you could just kind of evaluate it and go, these are the things that we got to take out, and these are the things that we need to make sure, if we're not doing this, we're failing as coaches, we're, and we're failing as leaders, quite frankly. More planning of the sessions so that we knew what we were doing. We were being shouted at before we understood what we were supposed to do. So there was no way of rectifying that. We had to read his mind <laughs> to know what he was trying to do so we wouldn't get shouted at. And of course, you can never read anyone's mind. More planning, more patience, 
more breakdown of the skill involved. Starting it easy, starting it, any coaching manual will tell you, you know, start static, move to no pressure, make it dynamic, add pressure, add increased pressure, go from goal to goal. You know, this has all been learned now, but we didn't get any of that. So more planning, greater science, knowing what the personalities of your players are. Some will respond and went on to have long, stellar careers, by the way, with the shouting. They were able to do it somehow, switch off. I wasn't. I was more sensitive. I made it longer than some others did. But it was demoralizing me because I didn't know how to achieve. I needed clear. If I wasn't doing it right, I needed to know how to do it right so I could move towards that. Those kind of things, I think, would, would have really helped. Education, really for that coach would have been a great thing. So much there. We could pick into each of those and talk for hours about any of those. Those would probably be a semester long course for us. But as you talked about, one of the things that really sticks out to me that I absolutely agree with all that you said, but the one is really that clarity, that that clarity of message of this is what my expectations are. This is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. This will help you understand X, Y, Z. And we're not just doing this rote because I want to run you. Well, sometimes they do that, and that's unhealthy and toxic as well. But if there is a method behind the madness, let them see behind the curtain. Don't keep it as a secret. We did not know how to achieve, how to gain success. How can you move forward with that? Again, that's something that we could talk a lot longer about, but I think you get the point out there. Hopefully you do. If you don't, then send me an email and we'll have a conversation about it. But one of the things that you currently use in your ministry and and you've developed over the years, presumably, is these three H's, really the head, the learning, the hands, the practice, and the heart to love and teach somebody else. Can you just discuss what that looks like and how that plays out in practice and how your experiences in soccer have informed the ongoing lifelong process that you're talking about there? Well, I think sometimes you fall on things by accident. And I would say in Houston, more in Dallas, but in Houston, I really didn't know what I was doing, but I think I was doing it. Sometimes we do that, don't we? It was kind of beginning to work and I was beginning to do something that I couldn't put words to and I couldn't explain. But in Dallas-Fort Worth, of course, you have to, in a Masters in Divinity, begin to look at why you're doing it. You have to look at your own practice. And because we'd set up something similar, but this time through a large megachurch in Dallas, I'm now reflecting on practice. And I'm thinking how to make players who are human beings into better human beings while they're playing. And I came across this idea or began to think through this idea of, of what it was that made us learn. I think we learn with our head, we learn with our hands, and we learn with our heart. Or more specifically, we learn with our head, we practice with our hands, and we reflect with our heart. I think we've all come across, haven't we, people who are superb academics. My father was a superb academic. And they read and read, understand and understand, learn and learn and learn and learn. But sometimes when you put them into a practice situation where they have to actually play and go about the business. This is why you sometimes see great trainers and then you stick them onto the field and you realize, ah, they're practice day players. Mm -hmm. Some people can do the drills, but they can't transfer it into the game. Some people can learn very well with books, but they can't put it into life. Well, of course, that's not enough. 
But there are also people who are very good at doing it. There are players who, who are surprising when they get on the field. They're terrible trainers. And they, they just turn on when the game begins. But long term, they're going to lose their fitness because they're not doing it day by day. They're not doing the rudimentary thing that's going to keep them in a long term career. And in whatever that might be, whether it's in the music business or in the creative arts or whether it's in church ministry, whatever it is, it's the learning with the head call it training day. It's the practice with the hands, actual game day. But also there's another element to it. And that is, how did I do what I just did? Sometimes an instinctive player, you know, I saw a goal the other day where the big balls crossed in. I mean, we're talking like a 40 yard ball crossed in and it goes over the top of the defender and the guy with his right foot flicks it over the top, back over the top of the defender and strikes it in with his right foot. I'd love to stop him get him aside and say, how did you do that? I hope he'll be able to tell me. Well, what I did is I positioned my body on the side on. And I, when it came to my right foot, I just lo loosed off a little bit. So it would just lob over his head a little bit. And then as I turned, I swiveled and I struck it with the laces. But a lot of people <laughs> will say, I don't know how I did that. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is you'll never do it again. Mm -hmm. And so if you reflect, if you take some time to reflect, you can do it again. And not only can you do it again, you can teach somebody else to do it. So we began to do that in Houston. We definitely did it in Dallas, helping players to understand what the drill was about, understand what the skill was about in their heads, then put it into practice and then reflect on it so they could do it again. And if one day they became a coach, they could do it with somebody else. We now do that on a big scale in terms of teaching leaders. So we've always got people in books, we were always giving classroom sessions. We were always looking at new theories. But we then say, and how, how can we now take that theory away, put it into practice, but then come back and reflect on it so everybody learns. To create multiplying leaders, you have to learn with your head, practice with your hands, and reflect with your heart in an ever-going cycle. That way you multiply yourself because you know what to do. You can do it. And you can describe it to somebody else because you know what you did. That's so fantastic. And, and I'm just thinking about coaches. If you didn't hear and listen and really engage in that, rewind this right now. Go back and listen to that and really think about how it can play out in your teams. Leaders, same thing. How can it play out in your teams, in your organizations? Because here's the thing. If we're just telling people what to do and they're not actually practicing it or if we're not helping them to learn it. Also, though, if they're not teaching it themselves, if they're not internalizing and then processing it and putting it out there again, anybody who has taught anything knows that the time you learn things the most is when you teach them yourself. So Absolutely. coaches, have your players involved in the teaching and the training at some level. Have your leaders being able to do that in teaching and, and they can teach each other. As you said, describe that thing that you did because when you describe it, it will internalize, it will help it become that muscle memory that you're able to do that more and more and better and That's better. Right. right? Leaders. That's right. Include. And if you want to learn that, if any, of, any coach wants to see that on a more, in a more uh, general way outside of soccer. It's because it's the principles that transfer into everything. Mm -hmm. They go on missional links, Wales, and on internships, they'll, they can see how we pad out and flesh out the head, hands, heart principle. And they can go on some videos to hear some testimonies of some 18 through 25 year olds who've been through that program 
and they're able to do it in whatever field they find themselves in. Yeah, that's great. And I strongly encourage that. We'll have that link on the show notes. So if you didn't grab it there or you're having trouble finding it online, go ahead and go to the, the show notes for this episode and you'll be able to find it there and it'll direct you right to that internship page so you can learn more about it. But I just want to make sure that that point of making sure the people that you want to be leaders, the people that are on your team, that you want them to be the best they can be, help them to give them opportunities to be able to teach what they're learning and what they're practicing rather than just having them continue doing the same thing, which, you know, that develops muscle memory at some point, but you won't fully understand the why and the what and the how and how you can do it better. And then it also breeds and leads to innovation because these different people who are wired differently will come up with things that we never would have thought of. Right. So that's where it gets awesome. I mean, think about all the moves now that exist in the game that never existed when we played back in the day. That's right. And my kids are learning stuff, and they're coming to me and saying, hey, Dad, do you know all these moves? I said, I had one move when I played. When I played <laughs> striker, my move was kick the ball past the guy and see if I can beat him. Now yeah. they're like, well, you didn't know this and that. And the other thing, I go, those guys weren't even alive when I was playing. <laughs> Some of them, that's they're right. making moves that's now. Right. So. Anyway, those are things that I, I love, absolutely love, love that. And so I would I would strongly encourage you folks to go to that, learn more about that. If it's not something that's resonating with you and that you're already doing, then learn about it and make sure you incorporate it into what you're doing at every area of leadership. And that goes to, to parenting and marriage and everything else that we're doing too is to be able to encourage and build each other up as well. On that note, to segue into the next thing I want to talk to you about, you've told me as we talked about that you'd love to write a book someday about how you have used principles learned through soccer to raise your kids. Those of you who listen to this show regularly, you know this is a question that I love to ask my guests is how they use these principles in their families. This is something that you you brought up without me even asking, and so it was something that was kind of cool. So I'd love to just talk about some of those principles with you, just have a little conversation here about what were those principles. Maybe this will be the impetus for you to start that book. We can go back, record it, put this down into writing, and then we can get it going. But uh, what are some of those principles that you did use with your boys growing up? And, and uh, to raise your kids, to help them to grow into the men that they are. And you're just, just boys, right? If I, if I remember All boys. Yeah. Three boys. boys. Three boys. So to help them grow into the men they are, and uh, how can that help us as well? Yeah. I mean, on the book, it's why it's ominous is that they're pushing me. And you know what it is. It's one thing for us to have a motivation to write a book, but when your kids are on you, yeah, the pressure's on, isn't it? Because you don't want to let them down. But all the way through, my wife, it just, times she despaired at other times, she just, when she tells people, you can see there's joy in her heart because she knows I've got through to those guys. Mm. But uh, it's like, oh no, he's talking about football again. <laughs> I beg to differ. I wonder whether I'm talking about football or am I talking about leadership? Mm. Or am I talking about life lesson, life wisdom when we're doing it? I cannot help the fact that I didn't have a little dolly or a little bear. I had a soccer ball to go to sleep with. This is deep in me. I've been to school. I've got an A license. I've studied the game. I've, I've been in and around it. We talked for six hours a day for six hours a week for 11 years. That's a lot of hours, <laughs> you know. Plus, I just love it. Yeah. Just like the people who are listening today, you know. So it, it didn't take much of a jump to that when you see your boys loving soccer and we gave them lots of choices in whatever they wanted to play had a very good swimmer as well who swam nationally they've all loved their soccer what a teaching moment you've asked me to talk about some weaving some principles so i've broken if you like in 
into early years, teenage years, and adult, because we still do it now. You're raising your kids. You want to teach them good life lessons. But we go wrong when we do it on our time and in our way. We have to do it in the way that they want to hear it. We have to find the teaching moments when their ears are open and their minds are focused. Mm. And so the great part about soccer is it's so emotional. Everything lives in 90 minutes, doesn't it? Everything that you can possibly imagine, elation and sadness and teamwork and lack of integrity and integrity and incredible physical ability and failure and everything exists in there. So in the younger ones, I don't know about you, but we came across very, very early this idea of winning and losing. My boys, especially one of them, took losing very much to heart. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just in his DNA, maybe the way it is, but they all did. So that moment when you've just lost, when the world is all wrong and it's everyone else's fault, is a great time to look at integrity. It's a great time to look at the fact that a player, most of all, is someone who goes out there and plays something that's bigger than themselves, where there's got to be a winner and there's got to be a loser. And losing is a great teacher. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, at that point of losing, it would be, why do you think we lost today? Oh, it's everyone else's fault. What do you think you could have done better today? So you're coming home in the car and you're teaching these leadership principles. All we won today. Everything is fantastic. And you can say, so last week we lost. How did that make you feel? How has it made you feel to win? Have you, know, have you noticed that there's always a winner and there's always a loser? And we have to have integrity in both ways. We're a good winner, but we're also a good loser. So when you lost last week and you didn't shake hands with anyone and you came off in a huff, what do you think that said about your integrity? This week, you couldn't wait to shake hands with everyone. You'd have shaken hands with a, a dog walking by. <laughs> You'd have given everybody a hug when you win. But can you keep it together and be the same man, whether you win or whether you lose? Great little lessons in those early years, learning how to win and learning how to lose. And then they get into their teenage years. Of course, now relationships are important. Now they begin to say, he said this, he said this, ref said this, coach said this. Now these relationship issues are beginning to work in their minds, whether they be good or bad. And this is that time when the one that's scoring the goals suddenly becomes a little bit of a poster child. You know what I'm talking about. Scores a five yarder, wheels away, points to the name on the back of their shirt. Mm. And you're coming home and you say, let's break down that goal that you scored today. What do you think, what part do you think the goalkeeper had who saved that really good shot? But he didn't parry it, he caught it. And in catching it, he was able to roll it out to the fullback really quickly. And when the fullback got it, instead of nailing it up the field 40 yards, he played it into the midfielder who turned and didn't lose it, but but played it wide again. And then did you notice when the striker, or when the winger had the ball, he played it to the striker's right foot, not his weak foot, but he played it to his right foot and then he put it in from six yards. Who scored that goal today? The striker or the team? 
So these are the lessons we learn when we're talking about good relationships, how it took everyone to score that goal, didn't it? It took all sorts of decisions, good decisions, until finally somebody can put it in for six yards. But no, he turns, he runs to the corner flag and he's pointing at his own name. That's not how to build team. And in order to play well, it's got to be team. Absolutely. I want to just pause real quick there because I want to say yeah. something, too, that we've seen a lot of. And I want to go back to the winning and losing of and how they're connected, too, that I see. Sure. But I also want to just point out right now that we're seeing now the impact. We've always known at some level the crowd, the fans, the impact they have on a game. And so the supporters who no want to run say, to now. Yeah, there's no one to run to. There's no one to to cheer with. There's no one to cheer on. There's no one to build up. There's no one to encourage. There's no one to all these things that a crowd can do. Also, the negative side of it, too, if they're booing or if they're doing this or that. Those are all things that are life lessons as well, that you're going to have haters in your life. You're going to have people who encourage you and cheer you on. You need those people to cheer you on in life. And how do you deal with those issues when those people are booing at you and don't want you to succeed and actually want you to fail? how do you respond to that you can either respond by crumbling or you can respond by going no I'm just going to put that ball in the net and so those are all life lessons that we're seeing now without the fans but I talk about that with people all the time there are people who are praying for you there are people who are buying your product in organizations there are people that are that are cheering you on and are paying for tickets so that you can have a team you know all of these things are part of that team and all go into scoring that goal in addition to all that you just talked about there on the pitch, right? So anyway, those are that's something that I've talked with people about Absolutely. and just I'm very passionate about. And I think this year it's really interesting. Never did we think we would have a year where we had actually a case study in what happens when fans go away. Home field advantage has basically gone away. It's gone. Look at, look at that. Yeah. I mean, we're now recording this the day after Liverpool just lost 4-1 to one at home. Yeah, after three games on the run. Yes, Losing to two teams they absolutely should not yeah. have lost to. First time since the 1960s. Unbelievable to see that, right? But that is because Anfield without fans is a cavernous hole, and they're reminded all the time they don't have fans. Yeah. The other teams coming in, they're still playing at Anfield. That's it. So it's just exactly. it's this. Anyway, so many lessons there. But anyway, I'll go on. Now you're with the adults. I just wanted to point that little part out. Any thoughts on that, too, while we're talking? It's a good point. You know, so if you like in the early years, lots of integrity, winning, losing, winning, losing, winning, losing. In the teenage year, it's more about relationships. Obviously, you're teaching all sorts of principles, aren't you? But relations, suddenly what others yep. are saying about you becomes really important. And the idea of team and why didn't we win when we have the best players? Ah, because the other team played like a team and you didn't a team how does that work you know right and so but when you get i think to the adult years because now they're playing good soccer you know my middle one my oldest and my middle one played in the national league my middle one is playing in the national league now of wales my other one is playing one league below so they're playing good football lots of pressure to win yep lots of pressure i think to to live like the world you know but we're christians in our family we love the lord jesus christ and we want to play his way. But that strong idea or that strong concept that you see in the world and in sport is it's only wrong if the referee sees it. Hmm. That's anything is only wrong. Any aspect of the game is only wrong if the referee sees it and calls it. If the referee doesn't call it, it's not wrong. Hmm. And of course, if that's the case, then it's then what we're really saying is 
if I steal that bracelet is only wrong if the police catch me. Yep. That's where it goes. And eventually it's not wrong to cheat on my wife unless she catches me. Mm. It goes everywhere. Yep. It will go right through your life if that's what you live by. And so, you know, we teach the boys there is, but God sees it. And you saw it. You know that ball went out. And it was a throw into the other team. Yep. You know that. Yeah. And so, therefore, we, we really then begin to emphasize that idea of character. Playing to the, the, if you like, the beat of a different drum. Putting in the tackles, doing everything you need to do. Sweating like everyone else. Giving everything you've got, but playing to the beat of a different drum because your character is something different. And then people will see there's something different about you. Yeah. All those things. Love it. Absolutely love it. And, and and those are the cool thing about it, as you talked about, is these are life lessons we want. Like if you go to people and you say to them exactly what you just talked about character and you say, wouldn't you want this in your kid to do the right thing, to do the next right thing? Whether it's somebody's watching or not watching, they're doing the right thing. You'd be hard-pressed to find a parent who actually is a decent parent that would say, no, I don't want that. I don't want, I, I just, honestly, I care if, I just care if they get good grades. That's all I care about. You'd be hard-pressed to find that, right? But in soccer, for whatever reason, we teach, if you get caught, then it's a foul. If you don't get caught, yeah. anything yeah. goes. Yeah. Why is that? Now with VAR in the highest levels, obviously that doesn't happen anymore. So they're having to now kind of unlearn some of that stuff. But that's something that even, you know, it's easy to slip into that. Just clip the heels. Just do this. Just do that. And not to say go play hard, go do this, you know, be aggressive. But the cheap stuff, the stuff that is, you know, is just wrong. I had a couple episodes ago, Lee Baker, who you actually know from your time in Houston, talked about this, where as a coach, you see the ball go over the line, whether it's in the goal or out of bounds, if it's a two-man system or something, or one ref in the middle, and they're needing help. And that integrity of, it went out. Your kids know it went out. You know it went out. Are you going to say it went out? Or it went in the goal, and you know it's a tie game, and it's something that you're going to lose that game if you say it went in. Are you going to say it went in? Is this game that important to you that you will lose your integrity over it and you'll lose respect from your players or you'll teach them things that then they'll take into life and they'll take into that game too and go, well, coach, you didn't say anything. How is this any different? And so in our parenting and all this other stuff is if those little things go by and our kids watch us do those things, it's that same thing where they go, well, dad, you didn't. You didn't do anything. You didn't, you, you know, if they learn about that, well, you didn't claim all that money on your taxes. You went and did this and you didn't report it. Why is, you know, so the, all those little things that it's against the law. Technically, you could get away with it because no one would ever know. Yeah. But you know, God knows. And you know what? It's just not right. So yeah. absolutely. Any thoughts on that as I just kind of laid all that out? I think what you do in the game you will do in life mm -hmm. and they they go backwards and forwards you know what you do in life you do in the game so we have an opportunity don't we with children and teenagers and even young college students to be still reminding them that good relationships integrity and character still matter yep you didn't hear me say don't make your tackle that's right you didn't hear me say don't give a hundred percent on the field you didn't hear me say don't try to win but you did hear me say you can still have character, 
can still have integrity and you can still build good relationships inside your team. Yeah. The other thing that all those things make me think of is just responsibility. So you have a responsibility to have character, to make that right decision, to learn from losses, to have the character and integrity when you lose to shake the hands. It's a responsibility. It's also a privilege and an honor too. It's it's something that we have a privilege to play the game. You know, the, the fact that we have this privilege to play the game, it also comes with this responsibility. The fact that we're able to do this comes with the responsibility to do these other things. On the team, when you're playing, talk about the fans, talking about owners, talking about coach, you have a responsibility to play at your best because there's other people that are counting on you. If you see it as team and then that, that character side of thing, you have a responsibility to do that just as, as a human who is to, to be flourished, to be at your best, you will play that. Cause otherwise you're going to live with this regret. You're going to live with this. Did I, you know, it's, it's that guilt. And if you don't have a guilt, then that's just a core of a human being. I wouldn't want to be, but anyway, so what, what are your thoughts on that? As far as that idea of responsibility and just, as we are taking on these different things to take responsibility for what we did wrong as well. Because how often, like you said, the idea of, well, it was his fault. It was his fault. I think of my nine-year-old and and I think of myself at nine years old for that matter. If I lost, it was because somebody cheated or somebody did something wrong. It couldn't have been me, right? So that idea of take responsibility for what's yours. Yeah. I think soccer, though we love it, is a game. But life is for real. Yep. And how we learn the game of soccer and the things that we learn from it are going to go into our life. Just as our life goes into that game. We can learn some incredible things about integrity and character and good relationships. We can learn a lot about that and take it into our lives because out there it's for real. We have responsibilities for ourselves and how we live as a citizen. We have responsibility for our families and how we lead them. What kind of man I show my wife, someone to be proud of or someone who cheat at the slightest opportunity. You know, Mm -hmm. what do I show my children? What do I show the people that I work with? We've had interns every year for 20 years. What are they seeing? They're certainly hearing me talk to about integrity and good relationships and character. They're hearing me say that. But is it something I say or is it something I do? My responsibility is to do what I'm saying. Otherwise, it's empty. Yep. And it's also to take responsibility for things you do wrong because they know you do wrong. They know your faults. Our kids know our faults. They know our weaknesses. If we don't own up to them, if we don't say sorry, if we don't say, you know, I blew it. And you know what? I'm struggling with this too. When I'm hungry, when I'm tired, when I'm not in the word, when I'm not doing what I need to be doing, I'm not the dad I need to be. And I'm sorry for that. When they see that, that vulnerability, that speaks volumes to them. When a coach does that, when a leader does that, because something I heard early on in my leadership was, look, your people know your weaknesses. When you actually share with them that you're aware with them too, you gain their respect and you create an environment where failure is okay as long as you're taking that next step to remedy that failure and and to learn from it. So have you seen that in your parenting? Have you seen that in your coaching? I assume you have, but I want to just hear what you want to say about that. Yeah, you know, taking responsibility, like you say, is massively important. And I've learned two vulnerable 
And that's not, how can I put that? Uh, if you're always saying, look at my mistakes, look yeah. at my mistakes, look at my mistakes, look at my mistakes, two things happen is when, when you're going to remedy them, when are you going to start yeah. working on them? Right. And the other yeah. one is, is like, you're trying to charm me here. Mm. You're trying to charm me. You're telling me too much. It's false humility. Yeah. You know, it's got to be insightful where the person can see that you've discovered this about yourself and you're not happy about it and you want to work on it, but it is something you're willing to admit. So I just think sometimes you do see, you know, Christians, if you like, you may call it society because we're all very vulnerable now, aren't we? You know, we're yeah. all very, very open. When you say you're poor at something and you're not, it's yeah. false humility. Absolutely. So an insightful admission of mistakes and then doing something to remedy it and people seeing that you're doing that, the people that you lead, that's powerful. Yeah. I love that you said that. I love that you said that because I think that's so important to to not have that self-deprecation, to not have that, oh, I'm just a terrible person. It's yeah. not that. It's when you blow Nobody it. Nobody believes it. Yeah, exactly. But when you blow it, own it. Yeah. Right? And don't say, oh, my bad. No, we're done. No, just like, I blew it. I blew it. And here's why. Now here's how I'm going to take that next step to remedy it and it. to make it right. And that that's the critical thing. Cause and it also I think it's good on that other on that flip side, going to what you just said, to know that we do have a greatness within us, to know that we do do certain things really, really well. And to be able to share that, like these are the things we do really, really well. And we're gonna surround ourselves with people who do those other things that we don't do super well. They do everything better than us. They're they're smarter than us in a lot of areas. We're going to surround ourselves with them because it'll challenge us to be better and we can challenge them to be better in the things that we do well. And so I think that's something that is really important. That's something that, as you talked about, that teamwork as we're t raising up our boys, as we're raising up our girls, that we can go, here is this teamwork. And teamwork isn't just about them making you better. It's about you making them better. And then together you make each other better and this team can do things that none of you could have done on your own. And that's why the team wins. Yes. But the set of individuals, the 11 individuals, don't necessarily win. That's right. It's an interesting thing to learn. You don't really learn that until you kind of teenage soccer. Mm -hmm. How a team of collectively less quality individuals can beat a group of individuals who are more highly talented in their ability. That team of the lesser skilled can beat the team with the higher level individuals because they play as a team. You, yep. you hit that at about in teenage years, and it's a shocker. Absolutely. You always think the best players always win. They don't. Yep. And that's why I love the lessons of FA Cup or the Carabao Cup or these other yeah. league cups in other countries. You see these teams. I mean, this year we saw Crawley come out of nowhere and, and win some games in the FA yeah. Cup, and, it's, and you're rooting for them because that is – what we love to see is that not why do yeah. we love the underdog story? Because it gives us hope that we can take these teams and we can take things and we can overperform and we can do things that are amazing. And that's that's what this game can teach us. So absolutely. Well, let's let's kind of you've alluded to your marriage and these lessons and taking it into there. And, and this is what we finish our shows typically with a couple questions that this one is one of them is these principles that you're learning. How have you directly in anything that you haven't talked about yet? Let's talk about something else because I know you got a whole lot more in that head of yours, but the principles that you've taken directly from the game that you used in your marriage or in your ministry or organization that we can learn as husbands, as wives out there, as, as leaders of organizations. Yeah, a little bit about my wife. I think that would actually help me answer that. So 
I met my wife at university when I wasn't a Christian and she was. I always thought that Christians were like lower standard, poor athletes, uncool. And so therefore I wouldn't want to be that. But then I meet a girl who sails for Great Britain, can beat most men at the University of Tennis, an athlete, can play for the rugby team. <laughs> so she's strong. She's a Christian. And it, it rocked my world. I'm thinking, there is this beautiful girl who is every bit the sports person. I cannot pull the, oh, you're an uncool, unsporty person. I can't pull that card. Because you're probably a higher level than me because I didn't do anything like national level. I'm thinking, ah. And then when I got to know her, had this, not perfect in any way, but had this just sense of rightness and purpose about herself. She knew what her standards were and she kept them. She knew she was on a journey. She knew she got a long way to go. But she kept answering me with these pieces of wisdom. And I'm beginning to say, where are you getting this from? She began to share with me from the Bible. And, and the coffees turned into meals and turned into walks and turned into time together where I'd come with my worldly philosophy and she'd come with the Bible and slowly but surely, and then started taking me to church, slowly but surely. It was like as if I didn't have enough faith not to believe. It was so obvious. Mm. And on May 18th, 1987, I became a Christian. So we were friends. She was very, very much the person that led me to the Lord. And that's all we were. We were friends. And then to cut a long story short, we met later on. She came to America to visit. I was in Houston at the time. And you know when the light bulb goes on? Yep. You know, new eyes to see and realize that this was the woman for me. So you can imagine then my discipler is my wife. Mm. So what yep. a, I feel like that's a wonderful gift. Yes. The person that led me to the Lord and discipled me is my wife. She knew me at my worst and still loved me. A bit like Jesus. You know, she's shown me Jesus. Yep. So that needed to be said. As you can see, very high regard. But I cherish my time playing soccer. I cherish my time coaching soccer because it helps me to be a better husband. The thing about sport, we'll kind of term it in soccer, but I think sport does it generally. Think about sport is instead of coming to you incrementally and slowly like life brings, it all comes in that 90 minutes, like I said earlier. Mm -hmm. The choices of whether to tell the truth or not. The choices of change something that's not going right. It's not going right. We're not keeping the ball. We need to add a midfield player. Do it now. But you have weeks to think of that in life. So yep. change making, truth telling, dealing with people, dealing with different personalities. All of these things have really helped me in my marriage. I'm not perfect in any way. But I think the fact that my wife's a sports person, she actually appreciates sports illustrations. She actually appreciates all of that. So we often... It's a funny old thing. If we could put a little bit, if you were a fly on the wall and we were going for a walk, you'd love our conversations because it's always like we talk about a, a relationship thing. And she's like, well, it's like in tennis when this happens. Well, it's like in soccer when this happens. <laughs> so it's all, it's all that kind of stuff, you know, and it's wonderful to have her. But huge lessons. And I think it's because of the pressure of soccer all happening in that short space of time. Like I say, all of the lessons, the integrities, the honesty, the teamwork, the reading of human beings, the telling of the truth, the, the, get the sweating with everyone. There's no, there can't be any spectators that you've got to get stuck in. All of those things are what marriage is about. Yeah, you hit it on the head there. I think a lot of the stuff that you've talked about in this episode, just as far as when you talked about coaching and everything, the, you just talked about knowing the personalities. If you don't know the personality of your wife, 
it's going to cause a lot of conflict. <laughs> yeah. They don't know your personality then because you just, you project things and you, you assume they're just like you and, and they're not yeah. right. No. I mean, they're, they're not at all. Even if they're the same personality, they're not at all like you because they're yeah. a totally different person. And, and yeah. so that's something absolutely yeah, encouraged by that, encouraged by the story. It's if we, when we have our, our next conversation, it's funny, my story with my wife, she didn't, wasn't my discipler, but it was similar in that that light bulb went on. We were friends for about five years. She was a Division One soccer player as well. And so we have this connection that we're able to shortcut sure. a lot of conversations because we can use soccer analogies, although she, she kind of rolls her eyes, as you said, your wife does as well. <laughs> when I when I use them sometimes, yeah. she's like, really, another one? Okay, what you know, oh, but yeah. she also knows it works. And so she doesn't tell me to stop doing it, which is good. Oh, yeah. Well, Chapman, doesn't he, you know, that did the love languages that we're all kind of quite familiar with now. And I think uh, if only that coach way back when had have kind Mm -hmm. of like dared to look at the fact that we all had different personalities. Some respond to being shouted at. Yeah. Others respond to an arm on the shoulder. Mm -hmm. Others respond to talking to directly others indirectly and being listened to. And they'll point out their own, their own faults. They'll point out their own mistakes. They don't need you to hammer them, you know? And it's the same with my wife. My love language is touch and words. Early on, it was all about giving you a hug and telling you you're great. And she'd be like, wash up, you know? Because she's like, she's acts of service. And so take the garbage out. Show me that you love me. Stop telling me. And I think our players are like that. We need to study our players, work out who they are, and we'll get the best out of them. It's not effeminate or it's not kind of weak to know how to talk to your players to study that your players personalities it's just clever yeah it's smart you'll get more out of them i swear i think it sounds like you're describing my marriage that sounds exactly like what my she typically says do the dishes or asks me to of course that's really that's solid stuff there's so much again there's so much there that i'd love to dive into maybe get you on another time to talk about some of these other things or just you and i can have conversations afterward but yeah those are things that again if you're not incorporating these things if you're not i love what you said about it's not weak it's not effeminate it's not something that if words of affirmation are your love language, then words of destruction are going to tear you down even more. Oh, yeah. And coaches need to know that because you could have the best player in the world. And if you don't connect with them, you're not going to get the best out of them. No. And on the flip side, if you have a player who is good, a really good player, and you connect with them and you pour into them as they, as they receive it, the only way you know that is by studying them then they can, you can take them to levels they never could have achieved before. Yeah. And that's why you see players for certain uh, managers, certain coaches performing incredibly well, and then they go to a different team and they fall off, or vice versa. Exactly. And teams as well. I mean, you see teams yeah. that take on the persona of their managers, and if they're toxic, the team's going to be toxic. If they're healthy, the yeah. team will be healthy. It just will be. It might take some time, but that's why this whole culture of, be curious to hear your thoughts on this, this culture of sacking managers after oh. six months or less than a year, it takes time to develop yeah. your culture. Do you, I mean, do you agree with that? How would you speak into that? Yeah, I, I think there are certain teams that do that. Yeah. Without naming them, Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> he, he just buys it now. Yeah, I, I pay for players, which he spends a fortune. Yep. I will get you the players, but you need to do it now. Mm-hmm. If you don't do it now, I'll find somebody else. 
I don't think every team no. is like that. I think who else had lost now in the in the Premier League? Done had a very very similar record to Frank Lampard. And of course, well, I, I'll give you an example. My team, my team Wolves, they haven't been doing so well. Right. Lots of draws, quite a few losses. You know, they lost their main striker to a concussion. Jimenez. Yep. There's no talk about sacking Nuno Espirito Santos. Right. He's he's taken us all the way up to seventh in the Premier League. There's no talk of sacking him just because he hasn't done so well in the last ten games. Lampard had like seven bad games. Right. And he's gone. I don't think all teams do that. Yeah. But I do I think it's increasingly often. But like you say, time is important to build cultures. I think wasn't Alex Ferguson's and I mentioned him a little later on the things yeah. that, that have been read. Ferguson, I think his season, he was a real, it was like 19th in the Premier League at one point in the first year or two. He had three years 19th. of underperforming. Three years. But they believed in what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing that now too with Solskjaer. And I, I got to believe that Ferguson is speaking into that because I think he would have yeah. been gone about three or four times if it were up to some of those other yeah. people. But he, again, it's culture and it takes time to develop a healthy culture. It's just, it just does. I mean, because, and again, no one could come. It was impossible to come after Ferguson. Yeah. Because you're not Ferguson. Nobody is. Next one in was, was a scapegoat. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Poor David Moyes. And he's proven to be a very good manager. Absolutely. And <laughs> look what he's doing right now. Yeah. So... All right, so you you almost took over the interview there and started going into the next question, but Sorry. You know, no, don't, no, no need to apologize. I love it. I love it. It means we're having a good conversation. So, what have you read, watched? You kind of gave a little yeah. preview, foreshadowing. Read, watched, or listened to that has informed your thinking on how soccer explains life and leadership. Sure, I, I would recommend a kind of a book on globalization. You know, that's a big deal in in culture today. But there's a wonderful book written by a sociologist. He's an American. How Soccer Explains the World. Mm-hmm. It's Franklin Foer. Yep. It's it's a wonderful book. It's It'll really get you thinking. It's not going to explain X's and O's and drills or whatever. It's about the social and kind of cultural understanding of how soccer has been, played its part in the globalization of the world. That's been excellent. A Matter of Life and Death, the History of Football in 100 Quotes hmm. by Jim White. Amusing, but also very insightful written from uh, a reporter stroke a journalist point of view good good to get the history of it and some really interesting stuff in there i think a lot of people will have watched this but i think it's on netflix alex ferguson on leadership it's like a story of since he finished obviously it gives you the history of where he took man united yeah but there's a good portion of it of what he's done since he's a world-class leader there's no there's no doubt about that i like and I'm sure you get them on your Prime, All or Nothing. Have yeah. you ever seen those? I have. They're fantastic. My favorite one yet is the Manchester City one, mm-hmm. but closely followed by the Sunderland one. Mm-hmm. Now, Sunderland is a place in the Northeast. It's it's a poor area, incredible support. The people really get behind the club. It's been a, a wonderful club in the past. And of course, the All or Nothing covers them as they go down. Yeah. And of course, a lot of leadership mistakes. A lot of leadership kind of lessons to be learned on the other side. But, of course, Pep Guardiola, outstanding leader. The Manchester City one's outstanding. But there's uh, there's others, aren't there? There's Tottenham, mm-hmm. Mourinho, mm-hmm. and yep. then Juventus. Yep. You know, this very corporate kind of – it's embedded in the city, isn't it? 
you know, of, of Turin. So they're good. That's really what I watch and what I listen. But I pick up anything, any kind of biography. I've read Dalglish, Kevin Keegan. I've got Gareth Southgate in my library. Mm. I'm uh, going to, I got that for Christmas. All sorts. Yeah. I'll have a read of anything. Absolutely. Leaders are readers, right? Leaders are learners. And it's really something that comes out in just the conversation, comes out in what you're learning and what you're able to share. It goes back to the head, hands, heart. And that's basically what you're talking about here is to read it, to understand it, to then go and apply it and and then teach it and, and share with others. And, and I, yeah. I love those all or nothing specials as well, too, because you do see how they're living it out. You do see, you know, yeah. they go a bit more into it. I love that Sunderland till I die is believe is I believe what that one's called. That's right. How they went into the backstory of the city too a lot more because this yes. that's what we find and you know, you're in England and it's something that I've just known secondhand and learned by reading and by watching stuff and talking to people, but you really the teams take on the culture of their city as well. You look at Leeds and it's just a working man, you know, town and they're and they they bring in this manager and again, that's another manager they didn't sack after they had that that you know drop off at the end of the season. There's to another one. Premier League, and but he's this just guy who's just gonna get it done, and he's quiet, and he's just this quiet leader. And the city is kind of that way, and it's the fourth largest city in England, but it's just this quiet city that you don't hear a lot from until they come back and they do this amazing story. But that comes from just people staying there to see Calvin Phillips stay there to see these other things happening you know we have another show on that if you if you didn't catch that with with Mark Peace on the Bielsa way is what we called it but just talking about the leadership of Marco Bielsa and that city and he's a lead supporter and it was a, a lot of fun but it was also getting a lot of insight into that but learning from these leaders and what's what's amazing is to now what part of the reason we're doing this show, obviously, is just these lessons that come out of it. But to see now Alex Ferguson, not just writing books, not just talking about this, but he's teaching at Harvard Business School for crying yes, out loud. Yes, he is. And these, it's just, that's amazing to think about mm-hmm. that they would say, they see that connection, they being the, you know, the even the elite of the elites, the ivory towers of the world, seeing that the lessons we can learn from this game just go to everything. They literally permeate into everything. And if we see that, we are such a leg up. And if we can teach our players that, what an amazing thing for them to be able to go in after their, you know, at some point, the game of football will be over in your life. You can keep coaching and so on and so forth. But you're going to have marriage. You're going to have kids. You're going to have things outside the game. And if you don't know how to, I mean, we have this opportunity. Again, responsibility as coaches and an opportunity to teach up and train up our kids that are in our and, and as parents as well. So, anyway, with that, any last words as we as we close up this episode? I think there's a reason why it's called the beautiful game. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why. What is it? Two and a half billion people watch the World Cup final. We're involved in something way bigger than us, and it's not only a wonderful game to play. It's a great great life teacher, and certainly a great vehicle for leadership. There are other areas. There are some wonderful things that teach us about leadership, but I think for us, this is what the Lord has has given us. We understand it deeply. We love it so much. And so the Lord meets us where we are. And he says, I'm going to teach you through this game and I'm going to allow you to teach others through it. And I think it's a joy that the Lord is using me, I have to say, that way and so many of us. 
I agree with that, Rob. And I, I want to thank you. And I'm glad the Lord's leading you and, and using you that way as well, as well as what you're doing with the uh, Mission of Lynx Wales. Thanks again for taking the time to be a part of this. Thanks for sharing your wisdom with us. And uh, again, I look forward to continuing this conversation with you uh, in the future, hopefully soon in the future. God bless you. So folks, thanks again for this download. As I said at the beginning of the show, if you haven't rated and reviewed the show, go ahead and do that. Very much appreciate that. It helps us get this out to others. If you haven't joined the Facebook group already, please do so. That's that's where we're really continuing the conversation that we're starting here on the podcast. So if you haven't done that, go ahead and do that. And there's other opportunities to go deeper with us. Other than that, I just want to thank you for engaging the conversation. Thank you for being a part of this. And I, I just hope and pray that you do take what you're learning in this show and you use it to help you to be a better leader, to be a better parent, a better uh, spouse, uh, just a better leader in your community. And ultimately from this show, hopefully you're learning how this beautiful game does explain life and leadership. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. 